If you haven't already, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And if you're visiting, there are sermon notes in the bulletin. We've been looking at this text of Scripture that deals with this concept of liberty. And as I've shared over and over and over, it's in chapters 8, it's in chapter 9, it's in chapter 10 that we are going over this very important concept that shows the depth of this doctrine. And we're dealing with the concept of liberty. And so we've used this slide because we're trying to emphasize that in Jesus Christ, we are free. Free from being slaves. Slaves, in essence, two things. One, a system that says you earn your salvation. And two, the concept of when you're free because you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, sin no longer owns you as a master. Romans chapter 6. And, you know... An unbeliever will share with you often, oh, I, I'm free, you know, I can do whatever I want. Well, the reality of it is, is no, sin controls you. And that's one of the things that we as believers need to be honest with unbelievers about so that they understand sin controls you. And so as Christians, we've got this great liberty now that we're saved because Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe, We don't have to earn and do anything to maintain it, but there's a transformation that takes place. And the believer is someone that now does live different, but in freedom. And so as we remember this, we said that the whole idea as we've been looking at chapters 8, 9, and 10 is how Paul is dealing with his liberty. But when we get into chapter 9, he wants us to understand the methodology that he's using so that he gains rewards. And I use the picture of the crown. But if you look at verse 19, it says, For though I am free from all men, I made myself a slave so that I may win more, that I can get more people saved, and then I will be given honor for it. He's not shy about looking to have the honor. And that's what we go through this text with. And Paul is trying to emphasize this. And his methodology is that this is how he's dealing with his liberty. He wants us to understand that he isn't taking his life as it comes. In the sense that, you know, well, if, if I happen to share the gospel, if I don't happen to share the gospel, yeah, whatever happens, happens. He's telling us that he is giving up his liberty with the specific intent and with the idea that he wants to share his go- the gospel with people. And so he's thought it through. And then he listed a whole bunch of different people groups because the methodology, as we'll come back to, does play a key part in how you address certain people. There are certain times you, you can maybe address somebody about sin or you, you don't address them about a specific sin in their life. And I'll explain more about that as we go forward. But we've... You saw that as I read this text earlier, in, like in verse 24, he says, do you not know those who run in the race all run? And we use the methodology of running. And I, I asked some of you last week if you, anybody would give me some pictures, and only one family gave me pictures, so there's only one family up here. This is Sophia, and this is Annette and Sophia. They were at the turkey trot, and I know that you guys ran in that turkey trot too, so I don't know how, and you guys ran in that too, didn't you? Oh, oh okay, pumpkin plot, all right. So... But anyway, when we, last week had a whole bunch of people who were running. And the idea is, as the Apostle Paul 
tells us, look at verse 24, do you not know those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you win. And the idea here is that that is a command. That is an instruction. Run in such a way. Run in a way that you can win. And if you were to talk to people like Sophia and Annette and others um, like Sarah and Courtney and others that have run in races and Steve Panazzo who's run, there's a world of difference, and I'm sure Carl would say the same thing, that when you run in a race like this, you run with the idea, I want to complete it. But when you run in a race to win, it takes a different level of effort. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying is, I want you to win the race. I want you to come across, and I want you to be a winner. And so last week I went through the theology from a secular perspective. How do you win a race? And so the recap is, number one, is you have to make a commitment. You have to make a commitment to run. And, you know, if I was going to be in an event, if I was going to do one of my triathlons, and I literally said, Mike, I want you to win this event, then there has to be a mindset, a mental mindset, where all of a sudden I know I am going to have to train more, I'm going to have to eat more disciplined, I am going to have to do with a lot of sacrifices, because... It means to get to that level of victory, I am going to have to make a mental commitment that will follow through. And I'm sure anyone that's been in an athletic event, you understand. There's a sense where, yeah, I can participate, but if I'm committing to win... Now, again, I'm not the one who came up with this this terminology. You look at the end of verse 24. Run in such a way that you may participate. Run in such a way that you enjoy the run. Run in such a way that it is just a nice leisurely afternoon. No, run in such a way that you may win. And so this is why we challenged you last week and started thinking about, okay, if we're not using this just as an analogy regarding, we're not using this just as an analogy regarding how to get more fit and how to run races you know, whether it's, a, whether it's a marathon or a half marathon or a turkey plot or a turkey trot or whatever, you're going to run in this life, this Christianity. God is saying, I want you to make a commitment. I want you to think through, are you really going to be someone that is going to win? Now, the, the idea is, okay, if I make that commitment, then I need to prepare. And we talked about from an athletic standpoint, of like getting the right shoes, working out your training schedule, your diet, and then actually going out and practicing. That's one of the hardest things to do, to actually go out and practice. And I used the idea of when, you know, you, you, you start running and you run, you know, you might get out there and you run for a week, you run for two weeks, but then all of a sudden you become sore, you don't want to go out. Again, you've got to push yourself. Well, this idea of studying your Bible, getting tracks, Thinking through a presentation, I went through the illustration of my, the pastor I was under when I first got out of seminary, Gil Rue, how he worked on his presentation of giving the gospel so that he was incredibly smooth with it, where people were blown away by how smooth he was you know, in his 50s at how he gave the gospel. And he said, I spent 
tons of preparation time so that I would be able to quickly go from subject to subject, remember the verses I need to do. So if you're serious about winning this race, this race to influence people to get them saved, and so that all the time you don't just bumble and you don't know what to say in evangelism, and the reason many people are not effective is because you're not preparing. So if you commit to it, prepare. Then number three is that you determine a race day methodology. And we went through the idea of how you really have to think through an assessment of yourself in running in the sense where am I someone that's really good at starting off and going fast? Should I race at, a, at an even pace for the entire race? Like if I was going through a marathon, do I go you know, a solid six minutes every mile or do I do the third alternative, which was, we said, go a little bit slower and then pick it up at the end, which was ironic. Every world, current world record for 1,500 meters or higher has followed that third methodology. So there are different methodologies, race day methodologies to follow when you're actually in a sport. How does that apply to Christianity? Well, the Apostle Paul says, think about who you're dealing with. So you look at verse 20, to the Jews, they became a Jew. So I try not to do things offensive. I have to assess, hey, I'm dealing with a Jewish person. Or as he went on in verse 20, to those who are under the law. There are people who hold to strict rules of the law. And so I didn't want to offend them. And I need to understand how I need to approach them. And then as he went on in verse 21, to those who are without law. So, you know, I can't always necessarily bring up Bible verses by quoting the Bible verses. I can bring up verses, but maybe I don't quote them to those who are without the law. And to those that were weak, how do I approach them? The Apostle Paul says, you're you're thinking this through. And I remember several years ago, we had an evangelism course, and it talked about the different types of people. Maybe we should resurrect that. That, you know, there are people that you witness to and they've never heard the gospel. And there's an approach that you take with them. But then there are people that you, you present the gospel to and they've heard it before. And there are people that always act as if they're talking about the gospel. Well, there's different verses that you can bring up with them to challenge them to finally make a decision. So all of that is your race day methodology. Well, all of that is good when you you know you you think you're this is the way i'm going to do it but then finally you got to perform you've got to give the gospel you got to get out there and do it just like you got to get out there and run and you know sometimes that even takes practice because i've told you as i've been involved in athletic events the first few times it's humbling because you recognize boy in a race I, i i the the energy that comes with that start even when you're just participating, which many of the races I was just in, that's all I've ever done, I just participated, but you still want to do well. You don't get your breathing down. You don't get um, your, the entire pace down that you want. Well, that happens too, I think, with presenting the gospel, performing under pressure. The more you do it, the better you get. So, you know, what happens is, you know, the first time you go out and you give the gospel, just like, you know, I run one time and I, and I don't do well, why well, give up? That's it. I'm never going to run again. You know, successful people, we, we have to, of all people know, often fail. It's the people that learn how to fail and pick themselves up over and over and over that end up being successful. So all of that came, all of this came out. You can't see it. 
was literally from a, a, a website, How to Win a Race. Well, if I'm believing verse 24, run in such a way that you may win, I want to follow this. And so I'm going to come back to that. But what we saw in verses 24 to 27 is that the Apostle Paul was using sports methodology um, illustrations, which I absolutely love because, you know, I, I very much enjoy sports. So verses 24 to 27, let me read it one more time. Do, not, do you not know those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be what? Disqualified. And so here we saw, this is what we saw in verse 24, you either win or lose, okay? And we compared this, though, the idea for the, for the Greeks, they were, they were either going to win or lose in the race. They were already Greeks. I believe the ap- application is we're already Christians, but whether we win or lose, whether we get reward is what is at stake here. And so you're commanded to run to win. So you are instructed listen think this through because you want to win you want to be on the podium and this is from the olympics where a russian was excited and he he had just been given his gold medal there is going to be joy on judgment day there's going to be more joy for the people who were faithful than the people who weren't faithful and we went through different verses and, and and so much i want you to understand that reality So then we looked at verse 25, and it talked about self-control. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. And the idea of self-control, you can understand in athletics, is, you know, you've got to be disciplined in food. If I want to be a good runner and I want to be be very fast... um, then I want to watch my food intake. It was several years ago. Um, I was competing in a triathlon, and I was debating what bike to buy. And one of the things, you know, when you go out and you buy a bike, you, you, they're more expensive, the, you know, the lighter they become. You would think, more, you know, the more expensive bikes would be more, you know, more costly. But you can buy bikes for ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars, and they're extremely light. Well, why do you want a light bike so that you can go really, really fast? And and you're not as you're pedaling, you're not carrying that weight. And so I was talking to Carl Hale's brother, and Carl's brother does all these triathlons. He does these Ironman things, and you know he said to me, he said, Mike, whatever you do, he goes, you, you know, don't worry about. Don't worry about buying like a, a, a very, very light bike. I find that if people would just lose 15 pounds, <laughs> that they would be, you know, they'll save themselves two, $3,000. And I got it. I understood very much what he said, and that was my intent when I went out to buy a bike. The idea, though, is we all grasp it. And, and I think today, as I am just overwhelmed with... The choices I have about being self-disciplined, listen, I think it's not food we're talking about here. I think we have so much, so many choices in our world. 
that, you know, I, I've got this cell phone and there, you get these games that are given to you. I, I, I'm amazed at the variety of games that I can watch. And then I can watch movies and I can watch TV from my cell phone and I can watch it in my car and I can watch it, you know, um, on my computer and I can watch it on my TV. And, and my, our TV recently broke and I finally had to get a new TV. And when I got this new TV, I hooked it up and it's got one of these smart TVs. And I, I'm blown away because I feel like I've been living in a, I have been, I've been hearing about these. I feel like I've been living in a cave. We, I got one of these smart TVs and you, you get this choice and you've got like, you've got your regular cable, but then you've got like six or seven other choices where they're, they're providing you entertainment choices. Like it's like Voodoo or, and Amazon and just trying to think through some of the different venues. And I'm thinking to myself, I never have to be bored. I never have to be bored ever. I can watch any movie almost any time, any place, and before you know it, I've consumed my life with this world and I've not disciplined myself because you know I don't want to be, and we're going to talk about this being asceticism going into that, but the reality of it is, is listen, you know, if you're not making disciplined choices you're going to find yourself consumed by this world and we're told do not love the world nor the things of this world so you've got to really start thinking about am i exercising self-control as well as in the idea of when i interact with people am i exercising self-control and how i present the gospel because when he says in verse 24 everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things it's, it's an idea of even how I'm presenting things to them. And now we went through this last week and I had this slide and I, I talked about this fourth century, fourth century man. And I had, the, I had it in my notes, right? But I think I had BC up here last week and I fixed it AD. This John Christendom said this. He says, what is all things? A person, he doth not abstain from one and error and another. But he masters entirely gluttonous and lasciviousness and drunkenness and all his passions. How you live your life mattered in the fourth century. How you live your life now, all the more, because it's us. This is our reward that is at stake. This is your time on the podium, your time when God honors you, how you live. It's made now. And as I go back to my son, my, my son. My, my, my son's soccer team, hey, they win a lot of championships, okay? And they've got this website, and it says, you know, we win championships in practice. They just hand out the trophies at the matches. You understand? Put it in your life. We win our reward for how we live our Christian life now. It's, God is just going to hand out the trophy. And so I, I say that. Josh won a big trophy yesterday. Josh and Ethan up there, they were playing on a soccer team game yesterday. And when you see Josh, you congratulate him. They went through and they beat one of the best soccer teams in the entire area yesterday. I was so proud of him. And, and, and it's how you practice, okay? And even though, Ethan, you don't practice, Josh, <laughs> um, kind of blow my... But look... The, the perishable wreath, 
as look, he, he says in verse 20, 25, they then do it to receive a perishable wreath. This is what they got. They literally, they, 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 they would get this, but it had great honor. And if you don't remember, this was a, this was a, uh, from a cemetery plot or you know, gravestone where an unknown athlete, there are, there are six different type of wreaths that he had gotten and he'd been rewarded. And that, the names I think of the cities were in there. You can see them maybe in here faintly written. But, you know, you get these rewards, and that's why I made it akin to, you know, the trophy. And yesterday, Josh said to me, you know, we said this morning, he said, Dad, I brought home the trophy. He gets these, like, four-foot-five trophies. Um, and the reality of it is, I know it's going to end up in the trash can, okay? I do. One day, it's going to end up in a trash can um, because, you know, we don't keep these things forever, but your eternal trophy, you will. That's why I'm trying to get you to think. I'm trying to get you to think ahead. I want you to fight for things that matter. All right? How many of you were committed, like, well, you, you want to be committed to getting the gospel out, and you're going to have to make choices. And so look at that word agonize. We went through and we did a word study. Everyone who competes, verse 25, the word competes is the Greek word which we get agonized. And I went through a whole series of verses how agony is part of the Christian life, the sacrifices and the difficulties that you make. This isn't, this isn't, you know, come and be at church and I'm just going to make you feel good. This is like, hey, no pain, no gain. This is the idea of pushing yourself. And so, as we went through this, um, what did I have? Oh, Warren Wiersbe said this. Warren Wiersbe, um, the B books, the Bible series, who's back to the Bible. He, he said this, an athlete must be disciplined if he is to win the prize. Discipline means giving up the good and the better for the best. The athlete must watch his diet as well as his hours. He must smile and say no thank you when people offer him fattening desserts or invite him to late night parties. There is nothing wrong with food or fun, but they interfere with your, if they interfere with your highest goals, then they are hindrances and not helps. They're hindrances and not helps. John MacArthur goes on to say, from grace to you and his ministry, he says, the imperishable requires self-control just as the perishable. No Christian will be successful in witnessing or if anything else worthwhile without discipline. Every good thing we accomplish, whether in learning, business, artistic skill, marriage, spiritual living, witnessing, or whatever, is accomplished through discipline and self-control. If an athlete expects to excel, he voluntarily and often severely restricts his liberty. His sleep, his diet, and his exercise are not determined by his rights or his feelings, but by the requirements of his training. Professional athletes today are highly paid, but the Isthmus Games, which this passage would have dealt with, the Olympic Games of this day, were amateur as the Olympics are today. MacArthur goes on to say, amateur athletes train rigorously for years, often at considerable expense for the sake of an inexpensive prize and the brief acclaim that goes with it. The athlete's disciplined self-control is a rebuke of half-hearted, out-of-shape Christians who do almost nothing to prepare themselves to witness to the lost and consequently seldom do. People say, I never have a chance to witness. I never get opportunities. My goodness, I can tell you, I can... 
watch somebody that is focused on this and they will have countless unending opportunities because they make them, because they're prepared for them. Well, verse 26, aim for the eternal prize. Look, therefore, I aim in such a way. You see that? I aim, and this was the road, the idea. You, you go the right way. You focus. This is what you have to be focused on. I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not as beating the air. So meaning he has purpose and he has intent. He knows where he's going. He knows what he's doing. This is Paul's methodology. And this is the methodology we want you to, 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 to grasp. I want you to own it. So this is part of this why we review. And, and um, I, I thought this was really interesting. I thought I'd bring up this illustration. Many of you have heard this expression. Um, wrong, um, this man named Rongway Corgan. Have you ever heard of him? I don't know. Lou, if you met him, knew him. Um, 1938, Lou was a kid, right? So Lou's met so many people. You ever hear this expression, flying by the seat of your pants, flying by the seat of the pants? It came up because of this man. 1938, he was a, he was a pilot, all right? And he was supposed to fly from the, from fly west. He was in New York. He was going to fly to California, but instead he flew to Ireland. It was 1938. And even back then, they had to file flight plans, all right? And, and when he ended up in Ireland, which you better understand, he, he just basically said, oh, I, I just kind of got lost. I was flying by instinct. I was just flying, in essence, the writers wrote about it, that you were just flying by the seat of your pants, meaning you weren't really thinking about it because, you know, you, where you sit where you sit in the seat of your pants. You, you know, this is just how life happened. This is just what like, happened to you. And so it became an expression it became an expression that, you know, you just end up where you end up because, you know, life is just drifting and this is what just happens. Well, listen, the people who just drift around in life, that's what nothing ever gets done in their life. And then when they look back and all of a sudden their lives, they look back and they say, well, gee, I just, you know, this is where I ended up. Instead of taking control. And, and, and the thing that was so interesting about this story is they wouldn't let... At that time, Corgan fly to Ireland. Now, this is where this story has a twist, and you'll know it when you hear this expression going forward. So they believe he purposely flew to Ireland. And my thing is, I think when we talk often about sharing the gospel and we think about the fact that, you know, we talk about making this commitment, and then a lot of people come back and say, well, I never really ever shared the gospel. I never had this opportunity to share the gospel. It's because I really think there's a lot of people, as much as you give lip service to it, as much as Corgan gave lip service, I'm going to California, you have no intent to go to California. You really have no intent to share the gospel, and therefore it never happens. And, and you live... You, we, we, people will say, oh, you, you're living just by the seat of your pants, and it looks like you really have no intent, but the reality of it is, is you really don't have the heart to share the gospel. And that's why I've tried over and over and over to under, get you to understand how important it is that once we're dead, we're dead, and there is no second chance. You do not have a second chance to share the gospel once you're dead. You don't get to come back and haunt people. And when people are dead, they don't get a second chance because the Bible says first comes death, then comes judgment. And so you need to be people who are committed to sharing, but also at the same time committing in a way that you are sharing with love 
and kindness and grace and mercy. Don't be like wrong way care Corbin going the wrong way. So look at train the wind. So look at verse 26. Not I box in a such a way as not beating the air. And we talked about Tomas. He I wanted to elaborate more on this because Tomas trains a lot of people to win. And uh, it teaches you how to hit your opponent. Okay? Um, I, I know that Tomas, and Tomas, is he, Tomas isn't here today, is he? Okay? So Tomas isn't here today. I don't know where he's at. We'll find out. But um, the idea is when I, Tomas has taken me in his gym, and I wish he lived a little bit closer to me. I'd love to go there every Saturday morning. And he takes you through you know hitting the bags and hitting the speed bags and and you know you learn how to aim so that you hit your opponent well listen ask yourselves honestly are you looking to hit the unbeliever with the gospel because if you're not that's why you never hit them i love this it's a great sports analogy and then you know you you say well you know the gospel's offensive well and and i don't want to make them angry well, you know, I recognize you can be the most loving, the most kind person, and you can say it in the most kind and most loving play- way, but the reality of it is it's still going to hurt at times, and it is going to be bitter for some people to take. But as a good friend of mine said, the man that led Becky's parents to the Lord said, I would much rather somebody angry at me all the way to the gates of hell, gates of hell for them, than to them to never know. And so when we buried Becky's mother back in September, and, you know, there were all these tears and the sadness and the separation, there was a reality for us, you got to understand, that there's great joy because there's confidence that she's in heaven. Now, there are other family members who absolutely hate us. They, they, they despise us, and, and, and they don't want anything to do with us. But it's not because we were rude or mean to them. It's because you give them the gospel. And I know that's how you feel, too. But listen, you got to hit people. That, I, I'm aiming for this. I'm going for this. And so as Apostle Paul went on, last week I talked about people in our church that have made sacrifices. And O.K. Jackson was a man who had a career, and he gave it up for child evangelism. He just wanted to share the gospel. And afterwards, Brian came up to me, Brian Chandler, and he led you to the Lord, right? And so here we have a man in our church who's... A little bit older now and back in the 60s and 70s and there's others that have been led in this led to the led to the lord because of one man and I, like wouldn't it be great if 50 60 years from today people you know are putting up your picture because you were somebody that led all these people to the lord because you cared about sharing the gospel all right so look at verse 27 but i discipline my body and make it my slave and this is why i wanted to elaborate we want to we the idea is i i I have all these desires. I have all these wants. I, there's all these things I want to do. And listen, th- this is what our lives are filled with. There, th- there's always opportunity. There's always thoughts. I'd like to do this. I'd like to do that. But part of maturity and grasping and controlling yourself is that you say to yourself, I am going to enslave myself. And when you're a slave, it's not fun. It's not fun. And there are things that you say, I've lost out on. I'm not going to get a chance to do this in life. But the reality of it is, the reality of it is, is, it, 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 is that it'd be far better, it'd be, it's far better to, to lose 
and enslave yourself so that in the end you win. I mean, <laughs> you, you just have to make the choice. And so the idea, when the Apostle Paul wrote this, that the majority of the people in the world were slaves, and this would have been ghastly. What do you mean? You know, if anything in the world we want to do is we want to buy our freedom. I want to be free. I want to do my thing. I want to enjoy my life. I want to make it easy. I want, I want to have this opportunity. I want to have that opportunity. Absolutely. I surely don't want to just restrict my life. That's right. It's your liberty. You're free. Do whatever you want. But you're not going to be a winner. And when it's all said and done... The people that have said, well, I'm giving up my Fridays. I'm giving up my Wednesdays. I'm giving up my Saturday mornings. I've given up my lunchtime so that I can go and share the gospel, put myself in place, reach out to my neighbors, sacrifice some of my money, do whatever the methodology is, because I truly believe how I influence people does matter. These are the people who gave up their rights so that they could win win more and as this we go through this here's the question are you going to get going you've got to make a choice that's today remember commit you've got to make a choice then you're going to get prepared but look at this last line after i've preached to others i myself might be disqualified the idea of this word disqualified is used two different ways in scripture in the sense of somebody that's lost their salvation or someone that doesn't get to participate in the award ceremony. And that's how I believe it's being used here. You know, a Greek, if he got disqualified, if, if he didn't train properly for these, these Olympic Games, if he would drank too much and it found out, then he would then not be able to, to win. Um, even if he won the race, he would end up being disqualified. So you'd still be a Greek citizen, but you wouldn't be able to be, co- be considered a winner. And I thought, how interesting, because today we've got this doping scandal if you're unfamiliar with that and in, in, in sports it's been going on for the past 40 50 years where athletes will take drugs to enhance their skills and i remember a few years ago a man named ben johnson won the 100 meter race in the olympics and it was like so great this canadian he won the olympics and everyone was giving him all these great accolades but then two days later the drug test came in and they found out he was a cheater so he lost even though he actually won the race, he, in essence, got disqualified. So the idea here is very much akin. You're a Christian. You're getting to heaven. But if you are somebody that lives a life where it doesn't matter, you know, you blow your testimony, right? And the incredible pressure I feel on myself. I mean, as much as I look, I look at my life and I want to beat myself down because the reality of it is... I don't want to be disqualified. How you end your life does matter. If all of a sudden I lived my life and I was so faithful to my wife and I was so faithful to my children, so faithful as a pastor to you guys, but then I get to the end of my life and I absolutely go bonkers and I, and I say, well, I'm just going to live a sinful life. It doesn't matter. You know, and all my neighbors who I witnessed to and all my family members who saw me witnessing saw how I lived my life, that, I was, that, I, that I've walked away from this. It would destroy my testimony because they would say, you see, this, this Christianity doesn't matter to him. And so therefore, therefore, it would impact my reward. I would be disqualified. 
And, and you, then you take this down over and over and over, where if you live your life and, and you're somebody that is in people's face and you're someone who's not honoring God in the way you even share the gospel, because we're supposed to share the gospel in love, then I think, too, you're going to be disqualified because you're not playing by God's rules. God's rules are that we do things in love. And so the idea is I don't want to be somebody that's disqualified and neither should you. And this takes restraint because I tell you, I was thinking about it. I was walking the dog this morning and I was thinking of illustrations. So, you know, it was my job to walk the dog at eight o'clock this morning. It was out cold and I'm walking the dog and I'm thinking, you know, there are people that when I share the gospel with, I just want to tell off. There are people that have hurt me, they've been rude in my family, and I just want to put them in their place. But that wouldn't be the best thing because then my telling them off would be be what they would look at and they would hold on to. So it takes restraint. I beat myself. I hold myself back. Now, there are people that I've shared the gospel with and and they they get angry still. But, you know, there's one case i'm thinking particular of and i went back i've gone back and we've read the letter of how we share the gospel we've done it in love and they still got angry well okay that's their choice and that those things are going to happen you box someone you hit someone it's going to hurt sometimes you're unsafe that's going to hurt people but i don't want to be disqualified so there's you can see the broadness of this text so it's like saying, get out there and do it. But you don't just do it any way you want. You don't become this rude jerk in the way you do it. You look at chapter 9, verse 20. To the Jew, I became a Jew. To those who are under the law, I became one under the law. To those who are, are, are without law, I became as one without law. To those who are the weak, I became as those who are weak. Now, none of that was I participate in sin. None of that was I get out and I, and I, I bring up a legalistic approach to Christianity. no. There's far the greater depth. But what I want to tell you is all of this, we would all like to stay comfortable. We all would like to, you know, I love this little girl. She goes, it gives that look, that, when, that look when you don't want to go to work. You know, and I hope none of you are giving me that, even at heart, that sense like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be out there sharing. I'm telling you, if you're truly born again and you're truly someone who's a Christian, guess what? You've got liberty. You don't have to. You're going to get to heaven, but it's going to be really sad come judgment day for you. You're not going to have the joy that you can have. You're not going to have the accolades from God that you can have. It's it's that clear. So, you know, and we have a country, even today, people don't go to work. And then they they end up, you know, government takes care of them. They, 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 They live, and when it comes to the end of their life, they die, and they've done nothing in their life. They've done nothing. But that's not what you want, if that's what you really want. So don't make excuses. And I found this from a workout site. You know, how I spend the morning. Expectation. I'm going to get up. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to shower. I'm going to pick out a really cool outfit. I'm going to make a nutritious breakfast. I'm going to brush my teeth. And then I'm going to go out and I'm going to write a brilliant novel. But then, reality, I hit the snooze button. I check Twitter. I fall back to sleep. I hit snooze. I check Instagram. I panic. I brush the teeth. And I put on literally any clothing. And that's how I live my life. And, and, and the reality of it is, is like, okay, I have great intentions with sharing the gospel. So we can all grasp it. This is how a lot of people approach life. And that's how they work out. And really, nothing ever gets done. And, and they never get to go to the winner's circle. Here's what I want you to do. Sacrifice your liberty. 
Get out there and share the good news. It's my recommendation. I, I, I say recommendation because I don't have, um, in essence, like the authority to say, okay, this is definitely what you got to do. This, you know, it's your choice, okay? Um, and, and what I want you to grasp as we go through this is that it's not legalism and it's not being aesthetic. I, I've got a quote from um, Warren Wiersbe. Um, Warren Wiersbe said, in recent years, evangelical Christians have rediscovered the importance of personal discipline and and the relationship between a disciplined body and a spirit-filled life. We must, of course, avoid extremes. On the one hand, religious asceticism is unhealthy and of no spiritual value. Okay, it's like, all right, only good Christians, you know, know, good Christians never enjoy anything fun or never enjoy an athletic event, never enjoy, you know, taking time to watch a movie or playing a game on their phones. That's not what I want to get at. I don't want to get there. But the idea is, is at the same time, I want you to have the mindset that when you do sacrifice a movie, when you do sacrifice game time, when you do sacrifice fun time, it's not because, you know, it's the only way to earn salvation. It's because you're thinking ahead. There's a world of difference. John MacArthur goes on to say, a great difference between those races and the Christian race is that every Christian who will pay the price of careful training can win. We do not compete against each other, but against the obstacles, the practical, the physical, and the spiritual that would rather hinder hinder us. In a sense, every Christian runs his own race, enabling each one of us to be a winner in winning souls to Christ. Paul, therefore, counsels all believers to run in such a way that you may win by setting aside anything that might hinder the reception of the gospel. And he goes on to say, holding tightly to liberties and rights is a sure way to lose the right of soul winning. Many of the Corinthian Christians seriously limited their testimony because they would not limit their liberty. They refused to give up their rights, and in so doing, they won few and offended many. So I could say, oh, I want to have my way. I want my rights. I want my rights. I want my rights. Well, go ahead, get your rights. And sometimes you're perfectly right to do it. But you're going to offend a lot of people. You're going to hurt a lot of people. And so you've got to make the choice. So here's what we come back to. Uh, How do you win the witnessing race? Number one, commit to the race today. Decide to get involved in getting out the gospel. Okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to commit to it. Right now, I'm going to commit to it. And, and this is why we went back over this, because this is so important. And as we prayed, elders prayed before the service, people here would grasp the significance of this. You, on December 2nd, 2018, you, you know, you're either saying, yeah, I've absolutely committed to this. This is what I'm all about. I want to win this race. I want to win, win the soul-winning race. And I'll do what it takes. So therefore, I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to get trained. I'm going to study. I'm going to practice my presentation. I'm going to get tracks. I could have gone on and on and on. I'm going to do this. I'm going to discipline my body. I'm going to get out there and run. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to live the Christian life in a way that people see that I'm living this life. And then I'm going to determine a race methodology. I'm going to figure out when and how to speak up. I'm going to try to become better and better and better. You know, I I mean, we've had people, um, the lady that I showed last week, um, Lloyd, Emily Lloyd, her picture, her, one of her daughters, I mean, she can get in an elevator and, you know, what do you got, a minute in an elevator? She can get the gospel out. 
Um, Grace Beasy, those of you who know her. She, she can meet somebody at the checkout counter. She shares the gospel. She, you know, when you become somebody that has a good race day methodology, you can figure out how quickly, it, you know, I can get in and out of this gospel. I can share. And then lastly, just do it. Just do it. And as we all know, you know, that's the Nike ad, right? Just do it. Remember where Nike got there, the word. It's Greek for victory. Do it. Because, you know, if I sit at home, if I never share the gospel, if I never get involved, I'm never going to win. Now, this isn't about winning to get into heaven. This is about winning to get souls into heaven and the reward that you're going to get. I'm hoping that all of you get reward.